So you can turn in your Bibles to 2 John. We're going to start just by reading the whole letter. So you can get the feel for the letter, the understanding of what he's trying to get across here in the letter, the things that he's worried about, the things he wants to encourage the people with, um, the things he'd like changed, and some warnings in here as well. So let's read this. I'm going to read it for you uh, out of the ESV here. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in this wicked work. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Second John is written by John. Um, as far as people can tell from everything that I've read, John was probably up in years. Um, he was probably the last disciple left at this point. Uh, probably the rest had been martyred at this time. And so just to write the elder too uh, is not a big deal because they know who they're talking about. John was not just old, but also elder in uh, official sense of the word. So we have elders in our church, and the elder would be the pastor, the leader that meets a certain number of qualifications to be able to teach, to be able to have authority over the people, uh, to be able to disciple the people, to be able to defend the truth. And this is who's speaking in the beginning. So whenever it says, the elder, uh, this is who we're talking about, John, up in years. They think maybe this is written about 80, 90 um, AD, and so this is later in the church's growth. But if you'll notice, right from the beginning of uh, the New Testament and on, there's constantly warnings that people are creeping in all the time, and it's no different here, even years later. The church is constantly battling, constantly studying, constantly searching the scripture to see if what these missionaries or people who come by, if they're telling the truth or not. Should we let them in? Should we show hospitality to them? Christians were taught more and more to show hospitality, right? There's no more slave, right? No more free, no more um, rich, no more poor. It's, it's we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they're showing hospitality to all these people in ways that they never have before. Jews, Gentiles, eating together. And John has to throw in a warning, be careful who you're so hospitable to. 
Be careful who you're putting your stamp of approval on. And that's part of what 2 John is talking about. But I got into just the first couple verses of 2 John and I had to stop and take a little bit more time. Because I think that the foundation for much of your Christian life should be grounded in this one word. And it just passes so quickly. But it is all throughout scripture. So this is the elder, verse 1. To the elect lady. We're going to stop right there. That's it. So which word am I going to pause on? Elect. This is super important right here. As you start reading through scripture, especially maybe after you uh, listen to this sermon today, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Elect and chosen are somewhat interchangeable. Probably most of you guys have NIV, and it's going to say chosen lady. Uh, ESV is elect lady. and a lot of the versions, it's elect, 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 elect. So you need to stop there, and you need to say to yourself, that's a weird way to address somebody. If I was to write a letter to Uncle Don, I would say the elect man. I have never written that to anybody before. But John does here. The elect lady. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that Christians should have that mindset. That you are an elect people. And there's a reason that that theology should be on straight. We have in our culture and in our games and everything the idea that election is... You're awesome at something. Somebody else is awesome at something. And so therefore, we're going to elect the most awesomest person in whatever it is. If you want to make it on the football team, you must be the best football player, especially if it's a huge school, right? The best of the best. And these are the people that get elected, right? Whether you agree or disagree on the president, we're trying to find the best of the best to be president. That's what we're trying to find, not the worst of the worst, But the best of the best is what we're shooting for. And that's who we want to elect. Election in scripture is different than that. Election in scripture is solely based on the desire of God to choose whomever he will. And it starts right in the very beginning. And it starts with the Israelites. And it continues all throughout scripture. Why did God choose the Israelites? Because they were the greatest in number? No. Because they were the most dedicated people? No. Because God elected them to be his chosen people. God elects and God chooses for his own pleasure. and We don't get to decide who he picks. He picks prostitutes and he picks tax collectors and he picks murderers and he picks you and he picks me. And if you have the view of election correct as it should be from scripture... You should be the most humble people because you were not chosen because of your stature, your prowess by God. You were chosen while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not while you were raising your hand saying, God, pick me, pick me. You hated God, scripture says. You were dead, you were blind, you were deaf, and God elected you. He gave you eyes that could see, ears that could hear. He raised you from the dead. He gave you a new heart. And so that then you would choose God in return without question. Because all that the Father calls or draws will come to him, as we read before. 
As you go through scripture, you see this over and over again. Titus chapter 1 verse 1. I'm going to read hopefully slowly through these. I'm going to try and slow myself down a little bit. I might back up a little bit here and there. But I think you'll find rest in this doctrine all throughout scripture of election. You will find humility in this doctrine of election. You will not say to the world, you bunch of idiots, why can't you see it? You will understand, I was you. I was dead. I was blind. I was all these things. But God elected me, not of anything I have done, but simply out of his good pleasure. Titus 1.1, Paul is writing, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Paul was an apostle for the sake of God's elect. Paul was was an apostle for their knowledge of the truth, chosen, hand-selected by God, so that all of us who are reading a scripture right now would know God better. Understand these truths better. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 4. We give thanks to God always for all of you. We make mention of you in our prayers. We remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. We know your election of God. We know you've been chosen by God. We see it in the way that you act. We see it in your love for Jesus Christ. We see it in the way that you forgive one another, that you love one another, that you show hospitality to one another, that you no longer have these racial boundaries, that you no longer have these hierarchical boundaries, but you are loving one another. Your election of God is visible. 1 Peter 1.1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's writing to the elect exiles, the chosen exiles of God. It's important for you to understand these things. It's important for you to understand that what he's not saying is, you are the chosen team. Jehovah's Witnesses, did you know they have 144,000 of the chosen team? The best of the best of the best of the best. Did you know that whenever you go to communion with the Jehovah's Witnesses, you don't get to take it? Do you know who does get to take it? The remnant of the 144,000, whoever they are. Everybody else just sits there and lets it go. Isn't that crazy? And they send out pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet. Come to our communion service, which they do once a year. And don't take anything. Don't take part in anything. Because only the best of the best get to choose that. Christ does not do that. His elect are the worst of the worst. If you can see that, you can gain humility in your relationships. You can gain love in your relationships. Truth in your relationships. And this whole passage is about truth and love and truth and love. This understanding gives you humility in everything. Don't pass by that word. Romans 8, verses 31 to 39 says this. What then shall we say to these things? And you can go back and you can read some of these. You can ask me for these scriptures later if you want or just 
punch in your search bar, elect in your Bible, if you have an app, and it'll pop right up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God is the one who justifies you, his Christians, his elect. It's Satan who just loves to tear you down by showing you the things that we all should know already. Satan says, see how lazy he is? See how mean he was to his wife? And God says, I know, but I chose to save that person. I chose to save that child. I chose to save that old man. I chose to save these people. And who are you to accuse God's elect? Who are you to say to God, you made a terrible choice? We are all a terrible choice according to the world standards. But God chose out of his love and mercy to save a particular people. And that will creep out into your relationships. If you think you came to God because you are smarter, more forgiving, more humble, wiser, whatever it is, you will turn into Jehovah's Witnesses of the world, thinking you're better than everybody else, Already we have that innate to us, this amount of pride, thinking that I am a Christian because I X, Y, or Z. You are a Christian because God elected to save you. Because God chose you. Romans 9, 9 through 11, this is always a great one. Paul's meeting some of the accusations about God and God's choice and he's answering some of the questions people have and he's saying, well, Rebecca had two sons. So I'm going to read this. Romans 9, verses 9 through 11. This is what the promise said. About this time next year I'll return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca has conceived by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born, pay attention, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told this, the older will serve the younger, and as it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. The thrust of this passage is this, before Jacob and Esau were even born, before they'd done anything good or bad, the older will serve the younger, and Jacob was already loved, Esau already hated. I mean, not blessed, not chosen. Why? Was it because Jacob was better? Did Jacob ever lie? Absolutely. Did Jacob ever sin? Absolutely. Did Esau ever lie? Absolutely. Did he ever sin? Absolutely. But this is what you should love. And this is the purpose of this verse because it says it right here. In order that God's purpose in election might continue. And I've said this before to you guys and you need to pay attention to this. If you love that you're saved by grace through faith and not of works, then you love election. Because this is exactly what it says. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works but because of him who calls. God gets 100% credit for your salvation. 
Not 99.99999, but I also chose God. No, you were dead. And he made you alive. He called, and you answered. If he had chose to leave you as you were, you would still be where you were. That's it. And this should make you humble. This should make you love God more. I was giving the kids an example this morning because so many kids in my class either love football, watch football, play football, whatever. But if you wanted to get on a team, you're like desperate to get on that team. And you can probably all still remember when you were a little kid, you wanted to play kickball, you wanted to play uh, freeze tag, you wanted to play whatever it was, and there was a captain, and he has to choose teams. There's two captains, and they get to choose teams. And if you're not the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, right, best friends of the captain, how well do you do in that selection process? If it's an odd number, you're probably sitting out. If you're really good at what you do, though, you might get in. Now, if you're really good and the guy chooses you, you go in and you go, I knew you were going to pick me. (laughs) I've been practicing for five years. Like, whatever it is. I'm huge, so obviously you want to pick me. I'm small, so I'm perfect for this game. I'm so smart that I see why you chose me. I have all the reasons not to praise the guy who chose me, but simply to say, I see why you did that. Good choice. And to luck on everybody else and be like, I know why you chose him last. He was the only one left. You got stuck with him. The election of Christ is this. See the worst guy there? I'm going to pick him first. I'm going to use him on my team. I'm going to mold him and I'm going to shape him to be just like me, captain of the team. That is what God does in election. He doesn't look down in the corridor of time and see your goodness and see your faithfulness and see your choice. He already knows that you're dead in your sin. You're blind, you're deaf. And he chooses to save people who are not qualified to be chosen. If you love being saved by grace through faith, you love election. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. This is a long passage. Pay attention to who's in charge. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of Paul. Is that what it says? No, of course not. Dave, I'm getting so much feedback up here, so kill one of these mics, please. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be who? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Any blessing you have, any goodness you have is a gift from God. Don't boast about it. It's hard, though. It's hard. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world even, he chose us in him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of my will, no, his will. 
to the praise of His glorious grace, not yours, His glorious grace, with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, not your blood. Your death gets you nowhere other than closer to judgment or closer to salvation. That's it. But it's His blood that gives us the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, making known to us, not I figured it out, the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. What's He trying to get into your heads? Your whole life, your whole salvation is because of Christ, 100%. All glory to God. All glory to Captain of the world. Elector of a people for himself. John 15, verses 15 through 17 says this. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The thrust of their going was God's choosing them, saying to the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. You thought, well, here's Jesus walking along. He seems like he's doing some great things, so I'm going to choose to follow him. No. (laughs) Jesus knew before he walked up to any of the disciples, you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me. And he commands these things, and he shares these things with the disciples. Why? Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. This is why I did not get very far in 2 John. I just got to that word and said, do not gloss over that. Because for you, that understanding should permeate your life and your relationships and the sharing of your gospel message, your humility as you tell it. The reason we are not like any other religion in the world is because all the work has done. It's by grace that you are saved through faith, not of works, it's not of yourself. Even your faith is a gift of God. Even your repentance is a gift of God. Scripture is very clear about all of that. So let's get back to 2 John here. Now that elect has been blown up, now that you understand what he says when he says elect lady and her children whom I love in truth I'm going to stop here at this love in truth as well I don't want to stop 
for the children part. I think this is a real lady. Some people are like, well, he's writing to a church. Um, but it seems very specific. And why would you just have a lady and then mention her children? So it seems like this is a real lady, an elect lady, her children, whom I love in the truth. Love for us now, because of God's election and because of God's call, ours must be the same as God's. Why do I love you? If it's because you feed me good food, do I stop when you stop feeding me good food? I want to. I really do, yeah. No, I love you because you are elect just like me. Chosen just like me. And if any of those things change in your character, your nature, I will continue to love you because our Father is the same. You are my sister and you are my brother. And when I fail to love you as I ought, we ought to encourage one another. We ought to love one another more, both in truth and love. So love and truth always going together, right? I want to speak the truth, but I want to speak the truth in love. I want to love, but not out of a lie. You know, this is like the best illustration ever of love without the truth is like telling your kid, you're an amazing singer, you should go on American Idol, and they're a terrible singer. You wanted to not crush them by telling them you're a terrible singer. Instead, we'll just let them go on American Idol and destroy their lives. Or become YouTube famous for a second. Because I'm trying to be loving by not telling them the truth. But I can also tell the truth and have no love connected to it. And John was one of those guys. If you read through John, he's pretty brutal. But he becomes the disciple of love. And becomes the disciple that Jesus loved. I love how he always says that. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. What about the rest of the guys? Right? But he felt that so personally. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. You all are the disciples that Jesus loves. And so... Again, with any of these books, with Jude, um, with any of the warning scriptures, it is with that much love that he doesn't want to strip this truth away from them by letting these false teachers creep in. So he's warning them, do you love election? Do you love God? Do you love your salvation? Do you love that you're a child of the Father? Then do not let these people creep in because they are just tearing the church apart, saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Making your salvation based on works. So he warns them. I want you to love in the truth. The truth that you have been elected. The truth that you have been chosen. The truth that God loves you. Not based on anything you have done. But based on what Christ has done for you. And that our love should be the same. That I love you because of what Christ has done for you. I love you because you are created in the image of God. And should you lose all the wonderful qualities about yourself, I would still love you. That's why Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Why? Because Jesus did that. Jesus does that right now. As he gives grace to his worst enemies, he is loving his enemies. It's raining on some farmer who hates God right now, Because he's showing them grace and mercy. Someone is alive another day right now because he's postponing their judgment for another day. He is constantly loving his enemies. And we are to do the same. 
I forgive you because Christ forgave me. I will be gracious today because God is gracious to me. And I tell my kids all the time, I'm disciplining you right now because I love you and I do not want worse things to happen to you. And the tricky part here in 2 John that it was hard for this elect lady maybe to know is they've gone so hard into the hospitality business like we discussed here that they were just letting anybody in, even the deceivers. So you're saying, whoa, whoa, you got the hospitality down, but be careful because you're welcoming in people who hate the truth. And they're deceiving other people. He says this, not only do I uh, love you, not only do I love you in the truth, uh, but also all who know the truth, they love you because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Right? And in John, it's, right, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. So we love our elect brothers and sisters because they are in the truth, they are in Christ. And that truth will be with us forever and ever and ever. So you don't get to just love for a little bit of time here or just Sunday morning. But as you go outside, you continue loving. Tomorrow, loving. And the next year, loving until the day that your brothers and sisters go to be with the Lord. Verse 3, grace, mercy, peace be with us. From who? From God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. I love this here because John equates Jesus with the Father. The grace, the mercy, the peace. They're not just coming from God the Father, they're also coming from the Son. Equating Jesus as the Son of God is equating Jesus in equality with the Father. So he says, grace, mercy, peace be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. The world today is trying to offer grace, mercy, peace, but they're leaving out Christ. They're trying to offer love by lying to just billions of people to make them feel comfortable in their sin. Because they don't love them in the way Christ has said. They lie to them. So we should be offering people this truth in love. That God loves to save sinners. I was once dead. He made me alive. And they should say, well, what, do you think you're better than me? No, I don't think I'm better than you. My sin wants to say, yeah, absolutely. But the truth of the matter, which is loving for them to know and for you to know, is that God chose to save you despite your sin. God chose to save you because he loves you. Why? I don't know. Why did he choose some and not others? I don't know. Read Romans 9 again. God gets to do whatever he wants. But if your salvation is grounded in that truth, that should permeate all of your life. And we can say to each other, right? Elect lady in the back row. Elect man in the front row. Speak the truth in love. Encourage the saints. To the elect of First Baptist Church of Ripley, New York, 
love one another in the truth. The truth is none of us are deserving of the love God has granted to us. None of us has done anything to win God's favor or to be on his team. He has chosen us to be like him out of his own will. Therefore, we need to love one another in a way that reflects that. Not in pride, thinking of ourselves as better, but thinking of others as better than ourselves. With grace, mercy, peace, humility, truth, love that stems from unmerited salvation, from the wrath that we deserve by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ who rose on the third day in triumph over sin and death so that we may be with him forever. And your salvation is secure in that. The hope, the joy, the peace that we have is that God chose me not because of anything I have done, but because of what God has worked in my heart. And what God has done cannot be changed by Satan, cannot be changed by you, cannot be changed by anything else, and God does not change his mind either. So if you are in Christ, you are in Christ eternally, and that is it. And a Christian does not want out. Because some might say, well, what if I want to get out? Christians don't want out. Well, Scripture says if you want out, you were never a Christian in the first place. You were never one of the elect in the first place. I just want to end one more time with John 6, 35 to 44. And pay attention to how this reads now that we've discussed some of this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He's making a very important distinction right here. Those that the Father saves will come to him. And whoever comes to him will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But they're believing because God has drawn them. God has called them. He's saying to them, you've seen me, but you do not believe. And this is why you do not believe. This is the point he's trying to make. All that the Father gives will come to me. God has not given you to Christ, is what he's saying to these people. He's saying it straight to their face. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, Jesus says, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Whoever God has given to the Son, he's going to keep them. He cannot lose them. They are his forever. And if anybody comes, it's because God has drawn him. And if you don't come, it's because God has not drawn you. If he draws, you're coming all the way. You should be grateful for that. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews, they grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them this, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. If God is drawing you today into a relationship with him, you can't go anywhere else. 
Repent of your sins. Put your faith and trust in the only salvation you have. Give him 100% praise, 100% glory for choosing you because you did not deserve it. And react and relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ in that way. That you have nothing better, a leg up, that you have not been given by God, including your salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your choices. They are all good. We thank you that you are just and merciful and gracious, that you offer peace, that you've given us the truth, that you've revealed mysteries to us in Christ and salvation, that while we were dead in trespasses and sins, you made us alive again. God, I thank you for John and his dedication to uh, the people he was ministering to all over. We thank you for all the disciples who walked and talked and wrote and sacrificed and took beatings and shipwrecks and taunting and jeering and were pulled before rulers and thrown in prison and lost their jobs and some losing their families and dying some horrible deaths. I thank you for them. I thank you that you chose to make them like you. You chose to call them sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to love one another because of what you have done for us and what you chose to do before the foundation of the world. In Christ's name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 517. I am resolved. 
and so glad and free. Jesus, highest I will come to Thee.
the red and said, this is my body broken on your behalf. This do it in remnants of me. And she Lord, as we consider your shedding of your blood, we're there, aware that we would have no standing before you, but that your blood would shed for our sin. That we could be cleansed, whiter than the snow. Lord, we are your children because of your work. We're grateful for that as we take part in this. Help us to be aware of how much it costs Jesus Christ to care for our sin.